If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the classic chapter in the Bible on the birth of Jesus. It's not the only place to go. But Luke shares with us um, some of the most details. I didn't plan on doing this, but as you get to Luke 2, let me just show you something fun. And look over in chapter 1 of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Theophilus, we believe, was a Roman official who either had come to faith in Jesus or was thinking about coming to faith in Jesus. Many believe, though, he had a nagging question. Is this true? Because if I'm going to go all in with Jesus, it's going to cost me everything. Theophilus was a Roman official. He had position, he had power, he had possessions, he had friends. And to go all in with Jesus Christ would mean he could possibly lose it all. And the scholars believe that he came along and became a supporter of Luke. Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, but he was also a doctor. That's probably how he made his living and supported himself as he went along. But many believe that Theophilus came alongside and said, I want you to give yourself full time to telling me exactly what happened, supporting his research efforts. It's a pretty neat thing. And here's even another neat thing. If you're familiar with the story of the Apostle Paul, you know that after his third missionary journey, he went back to Jerusalem to deliver some money to the suffering church in Jerusalem. And when he delivered that money, he got arrested and thrown in prison in Caesarea, which is just northwest of Jerusalem. And he sat in prison for two years. And Luke was with him during that trip to Jerusalem. And many believe when Paul got arrested and thrown in prison in Caesarea for two years... It's when Luke did much of his research work and eyewitness reporting. It's why many believe, how come we have so many details about the birth of Jesus, especially from Mary's perspective? Many think it's because during that period of time, Luke tracked down Mary, the mother of Jesus, and said, hey, can we have some coffee? I got some questions for you. Pretty cool. Well, in Luke 2, he's telling us the story. If you were here last week, you know in verses 1 through 7, he told us of the birth of Jesus, and he did it in a word, simply. We kind of 
contrasted it with what the angel had told us about the baby she was carrying in her belly. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Wow, what an, anti- what an expectation. And yet when it came time for this baby's birth, in chapter 2, verse 6, while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, lighted, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That's it. Such a simple recounting of this amazing baby's birth. And if we were left with just that, I think we would be left extremely wanting. Thankfully, Luke gives us more. And in this next story, he tells us about the significance of this baby's birth. And beyond that, shows us some responses that I think all of us can learn from. Let's watch the significance of verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. You can imagine. So, I thought about doing this this morning, but didn't really have enough time to put it all together. What I wanted to do was turn out all the lights in here and bring this garage light that I have from the house And after giving you all about 20 seconds for your eyeballs to maybe open up to try and get some light, turn that sucker on. I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning to put a brisket on the smoker, and it was dark, so I had to get that light. And I usually don't turn to look at it because it is so bright, but I accidentally did, and it was just like that. Imagine what it would have been like to be a shepherd out in those fields that night and the glory of the Lord lighting up the sky. You think you would be terribly frightened? Some of us may be mistaken to think, oh yeah, if God showed up, that'd be really cool, you know, kind of like watching fireworks on the 4th of July. Wow, look at that one! Not at all. Not to say anything about your politics or mine, if the President of the United States walked into this room right now, all of us most likely, just out of respect, would stand if the glory of the Lord showed up, we would hit the floor. In Isaiah chapter 6, the great prophet Isaiah was given a vision of the Lord in his temple with the angels flying about, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And what did I say to the prophets say? Wow, this is cool. Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. His response to the glory of the Lord was absolute humility. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, when he sees the risen, exalted Lord Jesus, falls at his feet as if a dead man. God is holy. He is glorious. The whole earth is full of his glory. And rightly so, we would be like the shepherds, terribly frightened. For we sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. The angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. How can that be? The glory of the Lord has shined. Terribly frightened. Woe is me. I'm undone. And the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, hears the, this is the message from heaven. Don't be afraid. How? And why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The glory of God, the sinfulness of humanity, terribly frightened. Don't be afraid. Why? A Savior has been born. This baby lying in the manger is the Savior. He's the Christ, the Messiah. He's the Lord. You remember when the angel showed up to Joseph? In the book of Matthew, Matthew tells us about this. Like Joseph, Mary, the girl that you're engaged to, is going to have a child. And this was bad news to Joseph. You could imagine why. He knew that he'd never been with her. Joseph, this child is going to be a miracle baby, the baby of the Holy Spirit. And you'll call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I bring you good news. Of great joy, a Savior has been born. That's the significance of this baby's birth. It's told so simply. And yet Luke wants us to know this is no mere baby. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Again, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. This baby born in Bethlehem, this baby wrapped in cloths and and lying in that manger is going to bring bring peace between God and men. He's the Savior who reconciles those who believe and brings peace. Friend, if you're here, You need to do like these shepherds are about to do. They've been told this baby is the Savior. This baby is the means to peace with God. That's what they do. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven... The shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has shown to us. So they came in a hurry. This is the enduring Christmas message of these shepherds. This is what you do when you hear that a Savior has been born. You say... Let me go find him, and let me go find him in a hurry. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never hurried to find him, if the shepherds were here, they would say to you, Oh, friend, This is the most significant birth in the history of the world. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. This is the Lord who's come to save his people from their sins and to make peace between God and men. Go straight to him in a hurry. Here's what you do. It's three words. Sorry, thanks, and please. You come to him and you, in sorrow, in confession of your sins, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. The Bible says that our sins, the things that we've said, the things that we've done, the things that we've thought about, the things that we've felt that are at odds with the will of God, and are there not plenty, those things separate us from God. 
And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Separation from God now and eternally. So when you come to Jesus, when you go straight to him in a hurry, what you do is you go, you go with, with confession of sin. I'm, I'm sorry. Are you at that point where you recognize yourself a sinner? Recognize the implications of that in terms of your broken relationship with God. You come and say sorry, but then you say thank you. Because here's what's so awesome. Is that when we could do nothing about our sin, God did it all. It's the story of Christmas. God sent his son into the world to accomplish salvation for us. And so thank you. It's so appropriate. Thank you, God, for loving me and sending your Son into the world to live the holy life that I couldn't live and die upon a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. That's the story, right? It begins, if you will, we might say in eternity past, but it really gets going at Christmas. When the eternal Son of God becomes one of us, He becomes a man, Jesus. But the story moves on to Good Friday. When Jesus, having grown up and having lived a holy life, and then on Good Friday, He goes to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He died not for what he had done. He died for what we had done. Our sins were laid upon him. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. Easter. God accomplishes salvation for his people. And so when you come and you say, I'm sorry. I, I know that I have sinned. You then say, thank you for what you have done. It's not, I'm sorry for my sins. Let me tell you everything I've done to make up for it. Uh-uh. It's, I'm sorry. Thank you for what you have done. And then please, would you please, because of who you are and because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, would you please forgive me of my sins? Would you please come into my life and make me the man, make me the woman that you want me to be? That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who hears of the glory of the Lord, who realizes themselves to be a sinner, and then begins a long, arduous trek to earn God's favor through being better. 
that ain't it at all. We don't climb the rungs and we don't jump through hoops. We can't. We find one rung, we fall back five. And we would just trip all over the rungs. The incredible news of Christmas is that God did it for us. And we receive him. We trust in what he did. We put our faith in Jesus. Friend, if you have not done that, may today be the day. You don't have to come up here. I'm not going to ask you to Raise your hand. I'm going to urge you, though, to do business with Jesus in the quietness of your heart. Sorry. Thank you. Please. If you were to do that today, would you please come tell me about it? Because I'd love to rejoice with you And I'd love to help you as you begin your new life with Jesus. So be like the shepherds and go straight to Jesus in a hurry. Let's watch another response. Verse 16, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by the shepherds. All who heard it. Joseph was there. Mary was there. Maybe, obviously, there were others there. But I think probably this is the scuttlebutt that's getting out into the city. Maybe the shepherds told Mary and Joseph, and then maybe there was some other standing by. Word got it out that these shepherds had come, and they had said an angel had appeared to them and said that this little baby that's lying in a manger down the street is the Savior of the world the Messiah of Israel, the Lord himself. And they wondered. It's a word that's used elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke of amazement at what Jesus would do through his miracles. But it's not always a word that's used seemingly of belief. It's just, wow! Cool! That was amazing! We're not so sure that these folks 
upon hearing it, did what the shepherds did and ran down the road to find this baby themselves. They just heard and went, wow. We know that the next verse says, but Mary treasured these things. So maybe that's a bit of contrast with what they were doing. They wondered at it. They were amazed by it. But they stopped short. I wonder if that's any of us. We love Christmas. I mean, it's a great time of the year. The lights and the presents and family, friends, cookies. Even the songs that we sing and the story of Jesus. And maybe you've been intrigued by that story. Maybe even amazed by it. But never yourself said, I've got to find that baby. Giving your life to Christ. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured them. She, she kept them. Alistair Begg is one of my favorite preachers, and I remember years ago listening to his message on this passage. And, uh, boy, he paints a picture like no one else can. But he paints a picture of Mary and Joseph there in, maybe it was a cave, maybe it was a, a, a portion of the house where the animals were kept. There's Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus in the manger. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes some stinking shepherds. And they come barging in. And maybe Mary and Joseph are wondering, what in the world are these guys up to? Why are you all here? And they said, we got to tell you, Mary. We were out in the fields watching our flocks by night. And you'll never guess what happened. An angel appeared. Now, had they known the story, had they known what God was up to, they would have known that an angel had appeared to Joseph and an angel had appeared to Mary. And the picture that Beg paints is that as, this, as those shepherds said, an angel appeared to us and the glory of the Lord shone around us and we were terribly frightened. But then the angel said, don't be afraid because the baby is the Savior, he's the Messiah, he's the Lord. He's come to bring peace between God and men. He wonders if Joseph and Mary didn't look at each other, smile, and one of them say, the angel's up to it again. Up to his old tricks. She wondered, or all who heard it wondered, she treasured. She pondered. Yes, this is my 10th Christmas. Redeemer, would it be my 10th or my 11th? My 11th. I think every year for 11 years. I've encouraged us. 10 years. At this time of year, maybe more than any other, to do just what she did. Ponder these things. This is the most unbelievable thing. 
you cast a vote. Maybe it's a tie. Which is more unbelievable? That the eternal Son of God took to Himself humanity such that in the one person of Jesus Christ, He is fully God and fully man forever. We call it the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Or God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The sins God's people laid upon him. This perfect God-man takes upon himself, in himself, the wrath of God. Which one more significant? I don't know if I can cast a vote, but the point, this is something. This Christmas, grab you a cup of coffee or hot chocolate or whatever it is. Put the phone on the side. And just sit there in the dark, maybe with some Christmas lights flickering. And treasure these things. Ponder them. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Finally, back to the shepherds in verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. There's a proper response to having met the Savior. Jesus Christ will take you as you are. But here's the the wonder and the glory of it all. He never leaves us as we are. Amen? Amen. We show up with all of our sin, with all of our junk, And he demands his arms are open wide to us. Come, come, just as you are. When we come, he so changes us that when we leave, we're never the same. 
we leave glorifying him and praising him for what he's done. We may be looking a little bit into it, but can't you imagine that when they got back home to their wives and to their kids and to their neighbors right around, they were never the same. Never the same. Because is it not true? When, when you and I come to Christ and he treats us with grace, which is what he does, right? Grace is his unmerited favor towards, toward us who only deserve his wrath. And so in, in the gospel, we, we come to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and he treats us with grace. How can we not then go home and not treat others with grace? How can you not treat your spouse with grace when you've been shown so much grace? How can you not treat your children with grace when you've been shown so much grace? You come to Christ, you realize God loves you. Not because you're lovable, but he has chosen to love you. That changes us, does it not? The Apostle John felt so. He said, we love because he first loved us. The gospel changes and we go home, if you will. We go back. They went back. We go back. And we treat people with love. Why? Because we go, God has so loved me. How could I not extend love to others? How about forgiveness? We come to Jesus and he forgives us of all of our sins. How can we not then, with our spouse, with our kids, with parent, a sibling, not forgive them. God has been so generous to us. How can we not be generous to others? The gospel changes us. It's, the, it's more than this, but it's the power of a magnificent thought. If this is true, wow, I'll never be the same. I'll be a man and I'll be a woman of grace and of love and of forgiveness and of generosity and on and on and on and on and on. The shepherds went back, never the same. Tell you, told you about Beg. I did have one of his eels here in my notes from that sermon years ago. Irrespective of the reaction of the people to their witness, they, meaning the shepherds, would now be employed in worship. 
back to their flocks with deep new emotions. And this is the stuff only Beg can do. If sheep and lambs could talk, then I think some of them would have said to one to another, you know, I don't know what happened to old Levi the other night, but something significant happened to him. Because I have felt his boot on my rear end so many times in the last few weeks. And you know, tonight he was calling me by name. You know, I'm certain that I felt his hand around my neck. And he took my face in his hands and he looked at me. If lambs and sheep could talk of the change and those shepherds after they met the Savior. Let's pray. Father, what would you have? my brothers and sisters to do today? What would you have for me to do? Maybe some here today need to run straight to Bethlehem in a hurry. They need to go find this Savior. God, would you, would you do that for any any that are here today that don't know of your forgiveness and of your love and of your commitment, might you open the eyes of their heart to see the glory of the Lord, to see their sin, to be terribly frightened, but then to hear the good news. Don't be afraid. A Savior has been born. Maybe right now, Lord, they would Run to him. In sorrow for their sins, in thankfulness for what you have done, and in godly politeness of asking for your favor. Lord, maybe some need to be shaken out of their mere amazement, mere wonder. They think that Christmas is cool. But they've never sensed the urgency and the significance of it all. Might you shake them, draw them to Jesus. Maybe others of us, Lord, need to just treasure these things and ponder on these things. We are so busy, especially this time of year, flying around and slowing down and even stopping can be so hard. But God, might you draw us into that sweet fellowship, that sweet communion, of reading your word and of praying and of singing to you and of meditating upon your word and just delighting in the incredible truths of Christmas. And Lord, maybe all of us 
needed to uh, just ponder again the goodness of the Lord to us. And as we go back, as we go back home, as we go back to work, as we go back to wherever it is, that we would be marked by the Savior's love, His grace, His kindness, His generosity. Oh Lord, that we would never be the same because of the baby born in Bethlehem, the Savior of the world. We pray in His holy, strong, and magnificent name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.